Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, thanks for being with us today. This is Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. We're going to be going through questions, real questions, real-life questions about the workplace can we thrive in today's economy? Can we do well when we're in a recession? Can we do well while doing good? Well, these and more. These are the kind of questions you're, we're going to be discussing here. We're in a brand new month. This is April. That means one third of the year is officially gone. So the question is, are you, no, actually one fourth of the year. Sorry about that. One fourth of the year is gone. That means you should have 25% of your goals accomplished for 2012. Are you on track? Have you reviewed your goals? Do you remember what you set as goals for the year? You need to keep those in the forefront. If you're going to make the progress that you want to make, if you really are making deposits of success in those areas you thought were important, you need to remember what those were and what you're doing daily to make those deposits. Well, we're going to be looking at some questions like this. Do I have to drink to be a good salesman? There's an interesting question. Dan, I'm interested in making writing a central component of my career. How do I do that? I'm 61 years old and I've been laid off from work now for about seven months. And I know what the problem is. You're going to be interested to hear what he thinks the problem is. Having been out of work for seven months. Dan, I just had an argument with a recent college graduate who said he didn't need to have specific skills because now he had a degree. Whoa, let's talk to that dude two years from now, see how that plan's working. Dan, when I look inward for my passion, I don't see anything. I'm thinking of making handmade soaps to make money. Is this a realistic plan? Well, here's a quotation for the day. We're going to be discussing those questions and more. So uh, stay with us here as we unpack those. There'll be things that relate to what you're doing. It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing now. If you want to go to higher levels of success, the principles for success that help people with these kind of questions are the same things that can help you release your best skills and move to higher levels of success as well. Here's a quotation for today, and this really relates to some of the questions we're going to be unpacking. This comes from Mark Twain, who said, 20 years from now, you will be disappointed by the things you didn't do rather than the ones you did. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. You'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do. You know, we see that a lot as I've had opportunities to speak to people who work in retirement and nursing homes these days. You know, we're seeing a lot of people come into those communities who have a lot of disappointments, things they didn't do. It's usually not because the things they did, just like Mark Twain is saying, all those things they realized they wanted to do and never did. When are you going to do it? If you want to travel, when are you going to do that? If you want to have a boat, when are you going to do that? You know, if you want to learn another language, when are you going to do that? I mean, that's where I quickly go with people when they say, well, I really want to do this or I dream about that. Well, when are you going to do that? I mean, if you put a timeline on it, then all of a sudden a wish or a dream becomes a goal. Then it becomes something 
you can actually see happening. That's the way you want to do it. Put a timeline on it, and all of a sudden you can see doors start opening because it's become more real in your own mind. Well, this comes from Kent from Kansas. It says, Dan, a friend of mine is opening and wanting me to run an English tutoring school for a year in Spain. Her reasons for wanting me to run it is because Spaniards are rather prejudiced against Hispanics. She is Ecuadorian and would prefer someone who looks like them, which I do. While I'm flattered, I'm also realistic financially since the school was in its infancy. Yet I'm three months into 50 years old, feel the job I've had for the last 16 years old. 16 years is getting old. I've been to Barcelona twice there and I liked it. I'd much rather help her out from the distance, but would love to travel frequently and have a flexible schedule away from my current job. What can, could I, should I do? Well, Kent, you're a great question. Don't assume this is your only possibility. That would be my first piece of advice. Don't assume that either you keep your current job or you do exactly what you laid out here. Go to Barcelona and run an English tutoring school. But if the prospect of living in Barcelona is appealing to you, explore six different ways you could do that. Then look for the best possible scenario. I mean, too often we assume that just what shows up on its own is all that's available. No, use that as a stimulus to create other possibilities that would be even better than what you've been presented. I mean, a lot of times when, when something comes up like this, it's just to get our attention. So we do a little research to find out all those other diamonds out there. So do that. But if you're bored in the job you've now had for 16 years, absolutely be looking for ways that you can do exactly what you're talking about, that you can travel and so on. You know, my, um, my son, Jared, who lives in Kenya now in Africa, always wanted to go to Africa, even as a little kid. I mean, Joanne and I, his mom and I never could figure out where that came from. Certainly wasn't us, but he wanted to go to Africa. Well, a few years ago, had a family friend who owns a bicycle manufacturing company contact Jared, knowing that we had a lot of history in the bike racing industry and knew about bikes and said, Jared, would you be interested in going to Kigali, Rwanda for four months? I'll pay all your expenses, give you a salary while you're there. And you organize an international bicycle race for me. Wow. I mean, what a great ticket that was. I mean, that was exactly the kind of thing Jared had been looking for and, and not just waiting, wringing his hands, but because he had already seen in his mind the day that he was going to be able to live in Africa, he was prepared. And that's again, what we define as luck when preparation meets opportunity. He was prepared in every way to go there. It took him a nanosecond to respond to that request. Yes, I'm your guy. I'll be there. I can go now, but so be ready but believe that the things that you dream about that you wish for start to see how those could really be a reality. And you'll be surprised how the, how to starts to show up. Great question. Gary from Kentucky says, Dan, I'm a 50 year old union carpenter. I've been working at the trade for 30 years at age 55. I can begin drawing a small pension about $2,000 a month. I've always wanted to be self-employed. I feel like now would be a good time to start making that transition. I cannot work as a carpenter and receive the pension. So I don't want to start a construction company. I'm ready for a change anyway. I'd like to get started soon, but I need a plan. What would you do in my position? 
Gary, I would see this as an exciting new opportunity to know that five years from now, you're going to have $2,000 a month coming in as a pension. That's a great foundation for planning what you want to do next. I mean, usually the, the, the first 50 years or so of our lives are just part of the exploring, clarifying process to help us figure out what we really want to do anyway. But by then, we ought to have enough life experience to know how to blend our strongest areas of competence, our passions, our dreams, in a way that allows us to fully live out our calling or purpose. So don't think you're stopping at 55. You're probably just getting ready to do your greatest life's work. But look at those things that you've always been naturally drawn to. Look at those things that really make your heart sing. And then believe that there's a way to blend those together so that that will be the work that you do. So you've got a great timeline here, five more years where you can continue doing work. You know, you're competent in doing, but to start planning out then that next season in your life. Chris from Virginia says, I've been writing a blog for the past year and I've discovered that writing is one of my passions. I'm interested in making writing a central component of my career. While I'm working to monetize a business around my blog, I would like to gain experience as a freelance writer for organizations and publications. I would even be open to taking a full-time job for a couple of years doing something that encompasses writing. How would you suggest approaching companies about writing for them? What thoughts do you have on finding these opportunities? Well, here's, here's how you can find them. And you, and you really can. The first thing I would suggest you do, Chris, is to get a copy of the writer's market. That's what it's called. You can find it quickly on Amazon, the writer's market. It's updated every year and it is a big, thick, book with a CD in the back, but it's going to have like 8,000 different contacts in there. These are newspapers, magazines, publishers, anybody in the writing industry and opportunities that are connected with that. If a magazine pays for articles, it'll tell you what kind of content they look for and how much they pay per word. I mean, those kind of things. Now let me, let me throw in a couple other things here. One is just because you recognize that you enjoy writing does not necessarily mean that you need to force that then to be your source of income. And frankly, it's a difficult process. My writing serves me very well at this point, but it took a long, long time to get it to the point where it actually was producing significant income. Can it be done? Yes. I mean, certainly. I mean, that's one of the funny things about anything artistic. You talk to a musician, wannabe, somebody who always dreamed of it, but uh, never made it happen. What are they going to tell you? They'll tell you it can't be done. I mean, that's what anybody who tells you it can't be done. It just means that they haven't been able to do it themselves. So you'll talk to a lot of writers who say, now you can't make any money doing that. What that tells you is they haven't made any money doing that. So if you want my opinion, can it be done? Absolutely. I mean, writing has served me extremely well, but don't assume that just because you enjoy it, that you have to move into doing that full time. I had a a young man just this week who has commented on a lot of my blogs and he, and, and then I comment back frequently, you know, and this is really well put together, you know, I appreciate your comments. And he said, I get comments from you and other people whose blogs I comment on that I'm a good writer. He says, what should I do next? How can I move that to the point where then I am monetizing that? I'm like, be careful about doing that. You may want to keep it just as it is now, where it's something you enjoy. You write a blog, 
couple times a week or whatever. You comment on other people's blogs. It's a great way to be intellectually active and stimulated and doing something rewarding and fulfilling. But it doesn't mean that then you need to somehow ramp that up. So that's what you do to generate income. So be careful of that. But can you do it? Absolutely. Get a copy of the writer's market. Now, another thing on that, just being a paid writer does not pay well. I mean, keep in mind, again, the real money made in writing is being able to sell it. If you want to make money, you need to learn how to be a best-selling author, not a best-writing author. There's a whole lot of great writers out there who are in poverty, but you need to learn how to sell. So when you learn how to sell, then it's going to change the framing of your question here because you're talking about how do you get a job where you'll be paid for writing? You can get a job being paid as an editor or as a writer and make $28,000 a year, but you're not going to be paid $100,000. The only way you do that is to learn how to sell your own writing. So be aware of that as you start to frame this transition. If you really want writing to be profitable for you, you need to learn how to sell it yourself, not how to get a job. Well, just a reminder there and a chance for me to clear my throat. But anyway, this is Dan Miller. You're listening to Dan Miller and the 48 Days Online Radio Show, where each week we break down questions from you, the listeners. If you have a question, then we'd be happy to entertain that for inclusion in an upcoming show. Just go to the 48days.com website. Click on the podcast link you'll see there. And you'll be able to submit your question. Be happy to look at that. I love getting the questions. It's one of the high points of my week to open that email file of mine and start perusing through these real life questions that you've submitted. Like this one from Rick who says, Dan, thanks for taking the time to read my email. I'm 61 years old and have been laid off from work now for about seven months. One of the obstacles I'm facing in my job search is the reality of age discrimination in the workplace. Although I'm well qualified for some of the positions I've applied for and interviewed for, I strongly believe the reason I've not been chosen for the position is due to age discrimination. Why should they hire older candidates when they can hire younger folks with less experience and pay them a lower wage? How does one deal with age discrimination in the workplace? Your books don't seem to deal with this subject in much detail. Look forward to hearing your response. Thanks, Rick. Well, Rick, I appreciate your question. I hear your heart. And I think that you are absolutely wrong in how you're framing this. Here's, here's the deal. Everybody I talk to thinks that they have an obstacle. When I talk to a 24 year old, they say, well, I'm too young. Nobody will give me a chance. They tell me I have to have experience. How am I going to get experience if they won't hire me? Well, and I talked to somebody, oh, I got the wrong degree. You know, it's really put me off track. Now I'm screwed. You know, I'm going to have to just coast into retirement and, and the coffin. Everybody, and then, uh, then I hear people, well, you know, I'm, I'm the wrong color. Nobody will give me a chance. I'm too old. The economy is bad. We're in a recession. Be careful about allowing those things to become real in your mind because that's where they exist is in your mind in the real world more and more companies are moving away from providing health insurance and retirement benefits the very things that are most tied to age if somebody's concerned about your age yeah they don't want to have to provide health insurance or retirement benefits a lot of companies don't do that anymore so 
If that is removed, then what are they paying for? They are paying for results. That's it. They're paying for results. And that's a good thing for all of us. It totally levels the playing field. So the key then is how can you show that at 61 years old, you can produce much better results than a 24 year old would be able to do. You ought to be able to do that. Your experience ought to work as an advantage. The fact that you are a mature worker tells a company that you have a better work ethic. There's they're afraid of hiring a 27 year old, you know, who's going to come in for seven weeks. And then they hear that there's great skiing in Aspen, Colorado, and they're out of here. They go somewhere else. You know, there's not the sense of loyalty, commitment, family, anything with these younger workers that they expect in older workers. There are a lot of companies who are desperately seeking people over 50 because of all the things that I've just mentioned. Be careful about allowing that to be an obstacle because it exists more in your mind than it does in reality. But once you, once you believe it, then it's true. That is not why people aren't hiring you for some reason in your presentation, you are not convincing them. You're the guy they want to have on their team. It's not age. It's purely the results you're going to be able to deliver. Well, here's a question comes from uh, Brady. He says, I wrote to you back in October. The question is about my business. I've been working on the side, need some pointers for how to get my main product in front of people. The service I provide is called subscribercity.com. Now don't, don't be concerned here. If you're listening about the details here, this is just one example of putting together a website, but I do have an answer for him. Uh, this is a simple tool that enables YouTube creators, the ability to give away their content only to people who subscribe to their YouTube channel. I figured this sort of thing would be great for musicians. For instance, they could give away a free MP3 to people who subscribe to their YouTube channel. I was curious if you would mind taking a quick look at it and giving me your two cents. Thanks for your hard work and dedication, Dan. It's much appreciated. Well, Brady, I'm going to give you more than two cents worth. I'm going to give you a whole nickel's worth of advice on this. I'm not sure what you're doing to let people know about your concept, but it sure is not your website. I did go there and look at it. I mean, it's your, your site homepage tells nothing about what you're doing and requires somebody to be a member and sign in to enter. Now this is really a dead end roadblock. I mean, your, your website is very off putting, frankly, you have to guess what's behind that question mark. You have to guess that there's something there that'll tell you something about the site. But if the site was all I was seeing, I wouldn't take that next step. I mean, you've got to have more information on the home page about what this is all about. It's very difficult to try to figure out what this is all about on your website. I don't think your presentation, even if you click on the question mark, I don't think it's compelling or clear about how this works. And you talk about how difficult it is to get someone to subscribe, you know, to tell you that they want to get stuff from you. And then you show that method as the whole basis for your model. I think you've got a lot of conflicting messages here. You, you need to, Somehow go back and take a fresh look, get some other people to do like you've asked me, look at your website and give you feedback because I think you are going nowhere with what you've got as a website right now. Well, there you got it. Hey, you got a nickel's worth rather than two cents. Well, Sherry says, Sherry from Florida says, Dan, I'm a, I'm a commercial property manager and just found out that my properties are going up for sale. My future with this company is very uncertain. I'm torn about what to take as my next career steps. I've been wanting to find another job closer to home as I currently travel 140 miles a day to and from work. Ouch. 
With my very high five-figure salary, it'll be hard to match working in the county that I currently live in. I'm 55 years old and 10 years from official retirement and want to do something I can continue doing in my semi-retirement. I need to make a good salary until we pay off the house. What would you recommend? I've read both your books, 48 Days, No More Mondays. Listen to your podcast. Thanks for all you do. Well, here's what I would recommend. Now, Sherry, you've got a great background with all these years as a commercial property manager. You ought to be able to see all kinds of possibilities in the real estate arena because of that. I mean, you could match distressed properties with investors and get a broker's fee. You could just connect with investors and be a partner with them in properties that you flip or rehab and rent. I mean, leverage your years of being paid for developing your own expertise. You've been paid as a commercial property manager and being paid very well, apparently. Use that training that you now have to put together your own deals, but in the same arena. Explore the opportunities right where you live. Don't assume that there's not enough to compensate you well. Now, also, I want to ask you this. Why do you assume that 10 years from now at age 65, that that's the time for your official retirement? I mean, is there really some uh, outside rule that says, hey, at 65, that's it? I mean, and, and when you talk about it in that way, 10 years and then you're going to retire, that assumes that you'll want to stop doing what you're doing at that point and somehow move to doing more of nothing. I mean, what if you're enjoying what you're doing at that time? What a novel idea. What if you really thoroughly enjoy what you're doing at 65 Again, is there some implied rule that you have to unplug and spend your days doing something less meaningful? Be careful about framing your future in that way. Well, I just need something that I really enjoy and that makes a lot of money. But then 10 years from now, boom, then I want to just wipe the slate clean. Why would you do that? I mean, I'm totally convinced that you will not want to do that if, in fact, you accomplish the two things I just mentioned. You find something that's meaningful that you enjoy and you're making money. Trust me. I see a whole lot of people who at 65, if they have those things in place, they're doing something that's meaningful. That's worthwhile. It engages their passions and talents. It's creating money. Those people don't retire. Trust me. They do not retire. They continue doing what they're doing. Who does retire? It's somebody who is not doing something they see as meaningful or worthwhile. It does not engage their best skills. They're not making decent money at it. Yeah, those people retire and rightfully so. I might as well just, you know, kick back, fish a little, golf a little, do nothing. But if you are engaged, if those things are in place, trust me, those people don't retire. Hope for that for yourself. Plan for that for yourself. I mean, my gosh, personally, I can't imagine. I mean, to me, retirement, I mean, it's like, it would be like having the stomach flu. I would put it in the same category as that. You know, oh, it's just miserable, but somehow I'm going to just get by. You know, it's not going to kill me. I can, that's the way that I visualize retirement. When I see what most people's retirement consists of. I don't want to spend my time doing that. I I don't want to spend the last day on earth doing what I see most people doing in retirement. Well, that's me. Anyway, let's move on. Chris from Colorado says recently, this is hilarious. Chris says recently I had an argument with two guys in their early twenties. 
I'm 36. One that just recently graduated college, the other soon to graduate. They were discussing pitting employer offers against each other to get the most money from a company. I asked them if they had a portfolio assembled, assembled of their past work, you know, special projects or experiences that an employer would find valuable. And their response was, none of that matters because we have degrees. This is our proof that we know what we're doing. Well, I recently acquired a t-shirt shop and I tried to explain that the degree doesn't matter if you can't show me what you can do. In my case, I'd rather have the guy with no degree that is an awesome artist and shows me a sketchbook over the guy that has the graphics art degree and a resume. No question, just wanted to share. Well, uh, these two guys you're talking to, these two guys that are proud of their degrees and they don't have to have specific skills because by golly, they have degrees. These are the guys who two years from now, they're going to be working in an $8 an hour job. They've still got $60,000 in student loan debt and they're suing the university because the degree they got allowed them to do nothing of marketable value. Boy, that is a sad path. Now I, I deal with this all the time as well. And certainly, you know, have see employers who deal with this and they take the approach that you do. Show me what you've done. Show me what you can produce in results. I just recently had another reality check in that. I may have mentioned that because of the time commitments that I have at this point, the upkeep on our nine acres of property here is really beyond uh, the scope of what Joanna and I can handle. And we finally came to the realization we need to get somebody that's essentially a a full-time gardener around here. Because of all the things that we've done, we keep adding new, new, new projects. I've got a, as a matter of fact, today I'm supposed to receive a hundred hostas from a gentleman who attended one of our events, heard me talk about being a, a hosta enthusiast. And we have a lot of areas that we're developing in the real beautiful hosta gardens. And he's sending me a hundred, uh, Jeff McManus. He's the head of, um, Oh, I'm going to get the school wrong. I think it's the university of Mississippi, but it could be, Mississippi State, it's one of those. But anyway, they were awarded this last year the number one university in the country for their landscape designs. And Jeff is in charge of all of that. And he's gracious enough, he said, told me he's sending me 100 starts of hostas that I'll really enjoy, some really cool varieties. So anyway, we, so I put a little note on Craigslist and I had about 30 people instantly, you know, pick me, pick me. And so I personally interviewed five different people, made a selection young lady who is just finishing her degree in agriculture. So she's just about to get her degree. And I questioned her hard on, you know, her practical experience. She told me she, you know, grew up on a farm and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I took her at her word at her expertise in landscaping and really seeing designs and knowing the different kinds of plants and all that. Well, she dramatically oversold herself, had her out here for two weeks. She's a good weed puller but she has no vision for where things ought to be, how they ought to, here's the real clincher on this. The real clincher was this. Now, when when Joanna and I bought this property, the people who lived here prior to us saw the woods. There's a lot of woods in the property. They saw that as a convenient place to push old washers and dryers and refrigerators. We view it much differently. We've spent years cleaning out every bit of debris and trash cleaning up nature trails through there and love the pristine area that we've created. Here's the deal with the young lady that I hired to be our landscaper and gardener. I told her as she was working on some places near the woods over there, I said, well, since you're just pulling weeds here, 
you know, just deteriorate, just take the wheelbarrow over there and just put it back in the woods and it'll decompose. No problem. I was walking through the woods a few days later and I saw not one, but multiple plastic water bottles. This young lady in drinking water, which we provided for threw the bottles back in the woods. Uh, you gotta be kidding me. She's totally does not get it. Does not get it. I <laughs> terminated her immediately. It just doesn't fit. She is not the candidate. Now the candidate I do have who has been out here now for a couple weeks, young guy. And, and frankly, I have no idea if he graduated from high school, the way he talks, I would not be surprised if he did. It doesn't matter. The work he does is astounding. The way he trims things up, sees things that need to be done, cleans them, mulches them, edges them, lays out. I just buy the flats of flowers and just give them to him. He knocks it out of the park in what he does. Very much what you're describing here in your question. Having a degree is not a magic ticket in today's environment. Show me what you can do. What are the results that you're going to produce? Well, here's a question from Jeff. Now, this is a really common question, the kind of things that I choose frequently because it represents so many questions that come in. Dan, I've been frustrated by finding my purpose and passion for nearly 30 years. I hear about people on your program who have a passion for a particular topic or cause. When I look inward for mine, I don't see anything. In the meantime, I need to produce an income, so I do the best I can with what I know. While I don't mind it, I wouldn't say I love it. I'm sure you've come across folks like me in your practice, in your experience. What's wrong between the ears of someone in my situation? Wow, what a heavy, thought-provoking question, Jeff. You look inward and don't see anything. You look in the mirror, there's no passion, there's no purpose, calling, mission, destiny. Wow, ouch. And I feel for you. I mean, it's there. Trust me, it's there. It, this is like, this is not superimposing something new where, oh, here's a new hot trend. Make this your passion. No, don't do that. This is like peeling back the layers of an onion. If you get down to the core, you're going to really see the essence of what is already there. That's what the process is. I would encourage you to get a copy of Julia Cameron's book, The Artist Way. Now, this is not about teaching you to do art, although there's that there. This is about helping you rediscover the things you were passionate about when you were a child. Uh, and maybe next week I'm going to be sharing more about my granddaughter, Clara, who is part of an artist group who meet right here in the sanctuary every Wednesday morning. Joanne is in that one of Joanne's favorite teachers conducts the class. Ashley, my daughter is in there and she brings Clara with her. Now at first this was just like, well, you know, if it's not too inconvenient, I can just be kind of watching Clara while she's here. No, Clara has become a very integral part of the group. Here's why she's four years old. She takes a piece of canvas and she starts painting. 30 minutes later, she steps back and says, wow, that's really great. I'm really good. You know what the older ladies in the group are saying? You know, so they're 40 and 45 and 50. They stand back with their paintings and say, 
Oh, I didn't really do a very good job. Even that tree looks out of proportion. And he can't tell if that's a road or a creek coming down through there. Not Clara. She steps back and says, wow, I'm really good. There ought to be things in our lives where we still have that connection, where not only is it meaningful, but we recognize we are talented. We're gifted in that area. That's what you need to do, Jeff. You need to step back and see that. You know, I haven't talked about it a whole lot, but I've, I've got a brand new book coming out, Wisdom Meets Passion. I am, I've never been as excited about a new product as I am this. I just got the galley copies in. That means these are the unproofed copies that we send out to media people and people will get endorsements from and so on. So I have a whole box of those. Thomas Nelson is sending those out to a lot of media uh, people as well. The front cover is phenomenal. It's got a light bulb where it's got light that is just exploding out of the top. Looks like a river exploding up through the top of the page. Wisdom meets passion. Passion is written like you took a tube of lipstick and just scribbled it on there. Love the way that it's done. You know what? I'm going to send you a galley copy, Jeff. You, I, I'm going to get one of those sent out to you. Now, again, it's a galley copy, but I'm so eager to get it in your hands because you're talking about not being able to identify your passion. I want you to have it right now. So I'm going to be sending you a copy. Wisdom meets passion. The official release date for that is going to be August 28th. And of course, I'll be telling you more details as we get closer to that time. We're going to do some really fun things with that. We're sending the galley copies out to media people and celebrities along with a little black velvet bag that has one of the Kaza necklaces in it that my son does. I wrote this with my son, Jared, who lives in Mombasa, Kenya. So it's got his perspective. When he talks in the book, it's in red print. So we're doing some really innovative things as we kind of launch this. And of course, I'm excited about it and I'll keep you, our listeners, informed. Well, this is Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online radio show. Each week, we look at your questions, the kind of interesting things we've been going through here and figure out how we can all learn from those. If you've got a question, just go to the 48days.com website. Click on podcast. It'll give you an opportunity there to submit your question and be delighted to look at that included in an upcoming show. Well, Matt says, Dan, what's the best way to choose a coach or consultant? How do I know if I'm paying too much for coaching services? I've been paying by the hour, just over a hundred dollars an hour, but is a contract better? I feel like we spend half of the time reviewing last week, which is needed, but at a hundred dollars an hour, I want lots of new knowledge. Thanks for your time and your services, man. I love your question. You have absolutely nailed a very critical built in conflict and, and you've described it really, really well. Here's the conflict. Well, well, let me just start with coaching can be pretty elusive. Obviously it's tough to quantify the results. The most important thing is to engage with a coach who has a history of helping people get results, moving to higher levels of success. But I agree paying by the hour has a built in conflict. Now just think about it. You want to get 15 minutes of real clear advice and pay for 15 minutes. What does a coach want? The coach, just by virtue of your agreement, wants to stay engaged with you for three hours because he gets paid more. 
It should be for a process, not for hours. Only beginning coaches charge by the hour. Now, this is true, as we know, for a whole lot of professionals. If you're getting legal fees, boom, you're being charged by the hour. If you have an architect drawing up plans, you're being charged by the hour. I think all those things ought to be done as a project. When I have people engage in the Eagles Club, it's a process. It's a process we're talking about. It's not, okay, the clock start ticking here, and when it stops, we're finished. No, it's a process. We engage for a period of time. Sure, I mean, it shouldn't go on for years, but we're going to engage and go through some specific steps and move you through that process. That's what we're looking for. I don't blame you at all for wanting to do the same. Hey, this is John Tesh, host of Intelligence for Your Life, and you're listening to my good buddy, Dan Miller. You know, finding your purpose and passion is the first step to living out intelligence in your own life. 48 days can show you the way. Now, back to Dan. Well, here's a question from Betty in Colorado who says, I'm thinking of making handmade soap to make money. I've spent several years learning the process and I've given samples out to people who like my soaps. They're giving me great feedback. Can I make money making handmade soaps? Is this a good business idea or a waste of time with hard work and not a whole lot of income from it? Well, making handmade soaps is very time and labor intensive. That's true. I mean, somebody has to be doing that. It's a very physical process. So there are going to immediately be some limitations to what you can do. There's only so many hours in the day, so many days in the week. You can only do so many soaps per hour. Boom. So it's going to be limited. It has some restrictions that I'm not real thrilled about as a business model. Now I'm going to give you a couple tips here. I want you to go to 48days.net and look up, just go to members and look up Brett Trout. Now, it, it's spelled B-R-E-T-T, and Brett's last name is T-R-A-U-D-T. Again, that's T-R-A-U-D-T. I wish there were an easier way to give you the, the link here in an audio format, but it's Brett Trout. He's been a longtime member of 48 Days. He has done exactly what you're talking about. He makes handmade soaps. When he comes to events, live events here at the sanctuary, he brings soaps that are personalized for 48 days that are personalized for the sanctuary. They're wonderful. And that's what he does. So yes, it can be done. Here's the only question. The question is, can you sell handmade soap? See, you don't base your decision about a business like this on whether people need handmade soap. No, you'll have to sell the benefits, the higher cost. So the question is, can you sell that? If you can sell that, I mean, if you can sell a bar of soap for $10 and you can sell thousands of those, you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to know this is great business. But the question is, can you do that? Now, obviously I doubt that a bar is going to cost $10, but it's going to be more expensive than a bar of dial or something you pick up Irish spring, something you pick up at Costco where you get, you know, 20 bars for five bucks. You're going to have to sell the benefits. That's the only question. Can you do that? Now, this is not a matter of knowing that people already want handmade soap because that's not really true. It reminds me of an old Henry Ford quotation. Henry Ford said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. 
I mean, isn't that a great way to frame this kind of concept? If you had just asked people what they want, they're going to tell you really, you know, immature, amateur kind of things. I mean, Steve Jobs, another one, he was a, he was brilliant at not just giving us what we wanted, but creating things that we didn't even know we wanted, but then he'd sell us on the benefits in a spectacular way. And you know, the rest of the story, that's what you're challenged with doing here. You're going to have to build the benefits. Why is handmade soap better? Why does it justify a higher cost? So the question is, can you sell it? If you can sell it, then it's a very honorable business to be in. and certainly a wonderful one to do. Again, it has some physical limitations that would give me pause in trying to go in that direction. But uh, if you can, it depends what your goals are. I mean, what do you want to accomplish? I mean, if you want to make a hundred thousand dollars a year, can you map out a plan, a business plan for actually doing that? That's the question that you have to deal with. Well, Tom said, and this is one of the ones I, I identified right at the beginning of today's show. He says, Dan, I'm in a new type of sales position, which involves entertaining clients. While I'm not offended by those who drink, I personally do not. It's not a spiritual thing for me. I just have never liked the taste, the calories and expense, but some sales trainers say that people are uncomfortable buying from someone too different from themselves. Brian Tracy says long hair can mean small sales. Your thoughts Love the podcast, the 48 days member community. Well, thanks for your question, Tom. You again, this hits on a real critical issue, but here's my response to that. You know, you don't have to be in your face about not drinking. I mean, it's very common for someone to have a diet Coke or a club soda where it's not even obvious that they're not drinking alcoholic beverages. I mean, I'm in a lot of environments like that where, you know, I can easily, there's plenty of choices that are not alcoholic if you want to do that. And this is the thing about being in sales. There is no downside to keeping your mind clear when dealing with clients. And I've heard a whole horrendous plethora of stories about salespeople who blew their opportunities and blew their reputation by drinking with clients. So I say there is no downside to it at all. And if that's your position, you are not going to compromise your ability to sell well. In fact, you will probably enhance your ability to sell well and continuously. I mean, how, and nobody is going to fault you for that. Nobody's going to think that you need to get sloppy drunk if they're going to do business with you. I mean, ultimately, they're going to respect you for being the professional that you are. Good question. Well, Rob says, Dan, I was wondering what else you were doing at the time when you were selling 48 days to the work you love by yourself before book deals and those kind of things. Now, I remember you said it was packaged in a binder. You sold a couple million dollars worth on your own, Rob. Okay. What else was I doing when I was starting out? I had my little three ring binder, 48 days to the work you love with a little cassette stuck down in the, the pocket in the inside flap. Yeah. What else was I doing? I was coaching. Coaching is the thing I was doing. Coaching is what I was doing that was immediate in terms of providing income. Now, the 48 days, I'll have to admit, you know, 48 days to the work you love because I didn't wait for a publishing deal. I didn't wait for those little 80 cent royalties to come in from a book that was being sold on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. 
mean, because I just went ahead and did it on my own, got in the game myself, I mean, that was very profitable very quickly. I'll have to be honest about that. But I was a coach during that period of time. And it was only after my writing materials took off so quickly that I began to reduce the time I was spending coaching. I mean, originally in my business plan, I was coaching people five or six days a week. That's what provided immediate income. The needs seemed to be just endless there for people who wanted to be coached. So that's what I was doing. But then as everything else in my Venn diagram, which you can look at, if you go to the useful resources, the 48 days.com site, you can see my business model, the seven different income streams that we've created. And as those things all started to get traction, then I started to back down in my coaching time. I mean, I still love coaching. It's where the rubber meets the road in essence. And, um, but I don't spend a whole lot of time doing that anymore because all the other things that create residual ongoing 168 hour a week income are pretty well in place. So coaching at this point, I do actually about one day a month rather than five days a week. Let me grab one more question here. This is a great question. This comes from Morgan. Morgan says, my wife and I are in our mid twenties and are currently $14,000 in debt. I work retail. She works for a corporation. I want to start a business that would hopefully generate more income and be in a field. I enjoy education, visual arts, but my wife is saying this isn't a good time to be thinking about that since we don't have the ability to quit a job right now and focus on a startup. She thinks we won't be able to make it happen until we're in our thirties, you know, 10 years from now. So they need to just stick with what they're doing now, work on that $14,000 in debt. He says we're in financial peace university right now, Dave Ramsey's program, but should the debt be our main concern? Should I get this debt taken care of before I try to start something new? Should I get a bear to paying job to take care of the debt or start working on the business on the side? Thanks. Morgan, 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 please. I hope if you're a listener, I hope you can see through the fallacy of this argument really quickly. Here's the deal. The underlying assumption here is that if you start something on your own, your income is going to go down. Now, if you really believe that's true, then by all means, keep your job, keep whittling away on that $14,000 in debt that you have. What if you could create a business plan showing that you could double your income the first year and triple it the second year? I mean, what if you could start on the side to get your business income up to the point where it duplicates the income you currently have from your job? And you could do that in the first six months. I mean, would that put your wife's mind at ease? Sure. What your wife is saying, she's scared to death. You're going to quit a job and your income is going to go to zero. You're going to start at zero. And who knows when it's going to come back up to even duplicate what you're making now. Well, you don't want that. That's not a good plan. But what if you could start a business and what you're talking about? I assume that you could do it easily on the side. If you want to do things in education and visual arts, you could certainly do that without jeopardizing the job you have now. Get it going. But don't assume that starting something on your own is going to cause your income to go down. That's a horrible, horrible thought. Now, there's a lot of reasons for people to move into businesses on their own. No question about that. Number one thing is time, freedom, and flexibility. It may not be just money, but most people also have at least at some level, the hope, the desire that their income will go up. 
not down. I mean, just think about, uh, think about the logic of this. One of my granddaughters uses that phrase on me all the time. It's a quote from one of the kids' movies like Shrek or Toy Story or something like that. Anyway, think, let's think about the logic of this. My logic is if you are working for a company, your efforts need to generate three to five times what they're paying you. I mean, if they're paying you $40,000 a year, your efforts are not generating $45,000 total. That would be a horrible plan for the business. Three to five times what they're paying you. So if you move out of being an employee, you ought to be able to work less, fewer hours, and still increase your income if you're producing the same kind of results. So moving into a business of your own, you ought to be able to immediately see how you're going to be able to, I mean, you ought to be able to duplicate your income and knock that $14,000 in debt out pronto give yourself a roadmap for how that's going to be done convince your wife that's really the path that you're on get some success under your belt now so she knows you're already on the way you will not stay i i it boggles my mind to think that you're going to stay in what is low level and mediocre until you get your debts paid and then you'll be ready to do something on your own. If you believe at all in the benefits of doing something on your own, I would be figuring out how I can do that tomorrow. Well, golly, thanks for your um, questions, comments, the ongoing connection, get involved, 48days.net. That community is now over 11,000 members strong. People who are doing exactly what we're talking about here, sharing ideas, learning how to go to higher levels of success. Hey, I commend you on being on this path where all of us together are finding or creating ways to have work that's meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. I know you're in that group. Let us know what we can do to help you accelerate your own path to success. Have a great week.